Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. Galatians 5. The title of the message tonight, Stay on Course. Stay on Course. Galatians 5, verse 7 through 12. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. That's bold, isn't it? And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, apparently they were reporting that Paul had preached circumcision, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would castrate themselves, masculate, castrate. That is the meaning of the word there. I remember very vividly on a very, very hot July Texas summer day, I was in a bicycle race in Cleburne, Texas, typical 100K, 62.1 miles, somewhere around mile 40. I just settled into a rhythm, and I had the bike there in front of me, and Thought, I'll just stay with this guy and maybe I'll reel him in as time unfolds. I've got about an hour and ten minutes left here. And so that was my thought. And so I just kept him in my vision. Just kept my cadence going and things seemed fine. But I was getting really tired and I was getting really hot. I was getting a little closer to him, but I wasn't making much gain. And then he stopped on the side of the road. Now, but I can catch him now. He's not moving. And I caught him and I said, what are you doing? And he said, do you know where we are? I thought, this is a bad day. And so that 62-mile race turned into 87 miles. And I would have given my bicycle away that day. Kind of like hopeful and Christian. He says, where are we now, brother? Be careful. Who or what you follow? Miss a turn, take a turn, and one day you wonder how it is you got to where you are. Maybe that's the case for the Galatians. Yeah, if you want something a little more religious, uh, maybe it's something like this. The evangelical church, at least the church life that I've grown up in all of my life, it's one little thing after another little thing. So we need a strategy. We need to implement a plan. We need to identify converts. Well, how are we going to identify a convert if we don't know who he is? We need to come up with a system. We've got to come up with a way. It's all good intentions. We just want to know who's saved in order that we can have them baptized. One little thought leads to another little thought. One good intention leads to another good intention. Then we've got a whole invitation system. It, it begins to move to some 
level of silliness that's not even comprehensible anymore. Bow your head, close your eyes, nobody looking around. Listen to what I'm saying. If you believe what I'm saying, lift up your head. If you really believe what I'm saying, wink your eye. If you wink your eye, if you really believe what you really believe by winking your eye, raise your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Oh, there's another hand on the back row. If you're really, really serious, you'll stand up right where you're at right now. Stand up right where you're at. If you stand up, what you're saying is I'm with Christ. Now, if you'll walk to the front of this church, you'll walk down here right now. Take the preacher by the hand and repeat this prayer after me and you'll be assured that your soul will end up in heaven we do all of these things it's like and we go through all of this stuff and then and then we start dimming the lights then we get the right music then we get some smoke then we get an environment and then we say you know what if we get a couple of church members to lead the procession at the invitation it will give a motive for lost people then to follow them so the first ones that come down really aren't getting saved they're just helping lost people get out of their pew or we go and take a brother by the hand and kind of help them down to the front because if they just make it to this first step they're going to heaven Never mind the fact that you can't find none of this in Scripture. And then it gets to the degree that if you don't do the system, you don't believe in evangelism. You're not evangelistic. You've lost the gospel. I literally stood in a church in East Texas and I said, we will not do the typical invitation. I'm going to preach the Bible to you and we're going to pray. And if you have questions about it, we'll talk about it. And I, I did the service. We closed the service out, and I said, we're done. I sat down. The preacher come up and he says, all right, we're going to play a song now. And he did an invitation, even though I said we wasn't having one. Why? Because if you don't do one, basically, you're a heretic. And we got there, not in one motion, but little step after little step after little step. You know tell how bad it gets? It gets this bad. You go to a trip to San Luis Potosi in the central heart of Mexico and you go on a mission trip and a group goes here and a group goes here and a group goes there and you work all week out here in these mission churches and then you come back and the number one question, how many people got saved? 20, 30, 15, 10. Everybody gives their number. Pastor Randall, how many got saved? None. What do you mean none? None. I have no idea. I have no way to gauge whether they're saved or not. I was only there for four days. I don't know whether they're saved or not. Well, wasn't there some? I don't know. You know what they did? They made up a number for me. And so then we have the meeting and they report the number. I don't remember the number, so forgive me. 75 people get saved. Okay, so we're at the mission trip. 75 people are saved. All the people rejoice. We're in San Luis Potosi at the motel lobby. Everybody claps. We get on the bus. We drive the bus back. We come back to the church. We give a report and get up to give the report. And 112 people were saved. It was 75 when we left. Did the people on the bus get saved? And so I asked that question. And then I get in trouble. I'm like, you people are all about numbers. And the pastor said, yes, we're about numbers. The God of the Bible even wrote a book with that title. That's what he told me. It's nonsense. You can get there in a flash, a little bit by a little bit. All right. The perverting of true grace demands the judgment of castration. Verses 7 and 8, running well. You see it there in your text. You were running well. Equation running well. They were obeying truth. That's how you run well. You obey truth. 
this persuasion. So whoever hindered them, that persuasion <coughs> was certainly not from God. Obeying truth, it is not a matter of simply believing the truth. That's orthodoxy, simply believing the truth. It's not a matter of good behavior. That's just moral uprightness. It is understanding that right belief is demonstrated in free obedience. Belief and behavior are two sides of the same coin. Now, we're saved by grace, we live by grace. Saved by grace, we obey the things of God. Same side, two sides of the same coin. But there's an obstacle in Galatians. We've seen it a hundred times over. Don't want to beat this thing to death, but we see it again. Who has hindered you? So he uses the scenario of running a race. You're running, let's, let's do the 100-yard dash. And so if you know on a track, they have a 100-yard dash, and they have lines. If you cross the line into somebody else's line, I assume you'd be disqualified, but you would certainly block them from their course, and you would certainly maybe trip them or cause them to be slack in their time because of their stumbling because you cut them off. In motocross, we call it cutting the line. If you're going to jump a 60-foot jump, jump the thing straight. Don't cross rut. Don't cross jump. You're going to kill somebody. Somebody in this church has cut and cross jumped. They've cut the line, and they're causing people to stumble. You've got to do this to be righteous. You've got to do this to be holy. You've got to do this for God to love you. And they've caused people to forget what grace is and begin to do works-based righteousness. False teachers. There's a million things we could say, very, very briefly. There's a couple of things you can use to detect false preachers. They turn the focus off of Christ as the central, all-sufficient piece of the church. Look, we can go through all kinds of situations. If I go back to the story about me in the charismatic church, Certainly they said Jesus. Certainly they said gospel. Certainly if you ask them if you're saved by the name of Jesus, they'd say yes. But if you stay in the ministry, was the main thing Jesus or was it tongues? Was the main thing Jesus or healing gifts? Was the main thing Jesus or some other thing going on? And through time you're like, this is what's vastly important And this is what's secondary. You gauge a ministry by its focus on Christ. But secondly, they put their emphasis, false teachers put emphasis upon secondary issues. If we talk about some other churches, you may say, what do they put their emphasis on? Sowing a seed of faith. The reason you're sick, brothers, you're just not giving enough money to the church. You don't have enough faith. If you would give more, then God would do this. And they focus their attention upon your pocketbook rather than upon your focus upon Christ who is merciful. And you know this to be true, but false teachers are really good at this. They procure attention upon themselves. The most graphic, classic example in my mind, you may have caught it from a, uh, Justin Peters' video or whatever, but it is nonetheless true. Benny Hinn, every time he comes on the platform, what do they do? What do they sing? They sing one song, and what does he wear? He wears a white suit, and the song they play when he walks out 
how great thou art. You can't miss it. Walking out on the stage to applause, everybody's singing how great their art, and everybody's attention is on Benny. And they place people under the bondage of performance-based righteousness. The saddest part of my life in charismatic ministries was my dear friend Peter Pons, who's gone on to be with the Lord, and to see his whole life shattered because Kenneth Copeland and them told him his wife had cancer and would die if he didn't give more money, and he gave, and he gave, and he gave, and she died anyways, and when it come time for the funeral, they didn't even bother to show up for the service, and he was done. But all of the teaching, he had to do this thing. He did everything they told him to do, and he was in bondage to that. And his life was totally deflated after he did all he could do and didn't get the result. That's what false teachers do. The obvious thing here, that type of thing is not from him who called you. It's not from him. The one who called you did so by grace, and he did it through the perfect merit of his son, Remember what Paul says to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He who calls you is faithful. He's faithful. And what does this say? He will surely do it. Trust him. You enter the race by grace. You stay in the race by grace. And you finish the race with grace. Whole way through. Trusting another who's giving you what you don't deserve. I'm trying to earn it. I'm still being overwhelmed that it's true that he would love me. It's all grace. It's not grace plus circumcision, that's for sure. It's not grace plus infant baptism, not grace plus works, not grace plus religious practices, not grace plus tongues or spirit baptism or repeating prayers or commitment cards or grace plus perfect attendance for five years in a row. Grace plus nothing. It's all grace. God gave his son and you believe him. This is the gospel. Secondly, running, running the whole, verses 9 and 10. A little leaven, just a little bit. Just one voice in the church. Just one brainiac who thinks he knows so much coming into the church and affecting the whole body. Just one moron with tattoos that's reformed and knows how to build a church and has never pastored one and got no patience. For guys that come in and haven't stayed in the church for two decades. You stay in a church before I listen. Right? Give some credit here. You get one little harebrained guy come in and destroy the work of 20 years. Martin Luther said that. It's true. One just piece of leaven, it infects everybody. Everybody starts talking about whatever it is he's pushing. I have confidence. I, I, I want to say the same thing with Paul in verse 10. I want to say, I have confidence... In the Lord, that by the word Baptist church is not going to take any other view, I'm not as bold as Paul, that you would take no other view than what Scripture supports. That's the only view you're going to hold. What does the Scripture say? That's what I believe. And the one who is troubling you, let that guy bear the penalty. Whoever that guy is, and they come along one after another after another throughout time. 
these opponents, there are many of them, whoever the one is now, whoever the one is tomorrow, whoever the one was yesterday. <clears throat> one error leads to two. Two to three, and three to four, and four to heresy. So important. That's why I love a local church. That's why I think the validity of staying in one church, being active in one church, growing in one church, and serving with people who actually care about you is the healthiest thing you can do spiritually. Look, let me just say it out loud. You stay at home and watch church on the internet. You watch it on TV and listen to it on the radio. Be sure of this. Nobody that's preaching cares about you. They don't know you, and they're not coming over to give you counsel when things go wrong because they don't even know you exist. The only way you can have a relational love factor is to be involved in a local church where there's membership, there's accountability, there's biblical preaching, there's checks and balances, there's a communion table where bread is broken and the juice is served, and there's a baptistry where people are immersed underwater and brought up because these are the two ordinances that hold up the church in order for her to be healthy and true, the word must be preached in that environment. Must have godly leadership and godly servants, men and women committed in covenant to one another. This is the way we hold each other in check. In the midst of that, will you have nonsense? Sure, but in the midst of the nonsense, you will fight through it and work through it, and it'll make you stronger as a body of believers. Well, let's quote Benjamin Franklin. Everybody knows this quote, I think, or you heard it at some point, talking about something small having a great effect, okay? Benjamin Franklin famously said this, quote, For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of the rider, the battle was lost. And for want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. All this for want of a horseshoe nail. Okay, that's famous. This next quote's not famous because I just wrote it this week. And it'll probably never be famous because that's my lot in life. Here we go. For want of the truth, the gospel was lost. For want of the gospel, grace was lost was lost. For want of grace, the man was lost. For want of a man, the church was lost. For want of a church, the kingdom was lost. And for want of the kingdom, the heavenly abode was lost. And all of this because of want for the truth. We can't ever lose the truth. Let's fight for it, labor for it, love it, Encourage it and make sure that your church does not deviate from it. But Paul is optimistic. Uh, he's saying here, a little leaven, leaven usually always comes out as evil in Scripture. A little leaven affects the whole. It's necessary to fight against error with all of our strength for the love of the truth. Newsflash if you fight for the truth, you will offend someone. We'll more for that in a moment. But Paul's optimistic. The sheep will listen to the truth and respond rightly. He believes that. I believe that. The sheep will not follow another. I believe that because Jesus said it. The truth will set the sheep free. The preaching of the gospel 
is the continual correction of the church. It's why we are and who we are because of the ministry of the pulpit of the church. Take it out. Just move the pulpit aside. Give me a cushy chair and a glass of wine to drink and let me talk about theological matters and see how healthy you are in five years. It happens all the time. We're going to sell out, throw out the pews, throw out the pulpit, and let's get some couches and let's sit around and sing kumbaya and talk theology like we know what we're talking about. That's not the way the church functions. The exposition of Scripture is the ongoing medication that prevents doctrinal infection. It gave me a peel bottle of amoxicillin for bronchitis. And on the bottle it says, take all of these. And my wife says, can you read? I can read. It says, take all of these. I feel better. I'm good. We'll save them for next time. Take all the peels. We need the continual medication. Well, Randall preached for 20 years. We need 50 more until Jesus comes. That's our medication. To glory and grace is to be repulsed by works-based righteousness. If the question is this, what must I do to be saved? What's the answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the answer. Believe Christ. What must I do to be saved? Believe on Christ. Believe another. Trust another. Sell out your soul to Him. Everything you got, I believe Christ. That's it. I got nothing to bring. I got nothing to offer. All I know is I believe Him. Thirdly and lastly, a reasonable witness. Verses 11 and 12. If I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? I think these false teachers had said, hey, Paul preaches the same thing we preach. False teachers do that a lot. They try to identify with somebody, people they respect, and use him. And I think they did that with Paul here. He's like, dude, if what they're saying is true, then why am I still being so persecuted here? Obviously, I'm not preaching the same message they are. In that case, the offense of the cross had been removed. Paul gets very clear. He's not politically correct. I don't think he even cares about politics. I wish that those who unsettled you would be castrated. I'm sick of this junk. You want to say you got to be circumcised? Go the whole way. Go big. Go home. Just cut it all off. That's what he says. I mean, you can't change the language. It's what he says. Look, the cross is always an offense. Paul says something like this in Corinthians. But we preach Christ crucified. Yeah, it's a stumbling block to these religious Jews, and it's a foolishness to these Gentiles, but to those who are called, it is the power of God unto salvation. And she's going to preach Christ, and Christ only. If Paul ever preached circumcision as necessary for salvation, it was before Acts 9. It was when he was still unconverted. After conversion, there is never a hint that Paul added anything to grace. Now, if you don't like persecution, you want our church to be a little more user-friendly, or as the guys at the store have said to me multiple times over, preacher, you need to be a little more tolerant. Well, there's a way to escape persecution. It's very easy. Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Just tell the gay man 
that God loves him just like he is. They won't get mad. They like that. God loves you just like you are. God receives you just as you are. You don't have to come out of that. It's all good. Just preach that. Tell the drunkard that Jesus drank too. You're just like Jesus. Just tell him that and he'll be like, oh, cool, Jesus is like me. Tell the carnal man, God just wants you to be happy. Of course God wants you to be happy. I mean, God loves you. He wants you to be happy. If this makes you happy, then go do it. Because God wants you to be happy. You know what I mean? Marriages have ended over that theology? Well, well, my wife, I mean, she's so hard, and this other woman makes me happy. Oh, well, God wants you to be happy, so divorce this woman and go get married. Where? I mean, just preach that, and they'll be happy with you. Tell the gambler, you're scratching your ticket up there at the store, you're going up to Windstar. Just say, look, dude, gamble all you want. If you win, you can tithe. We need the money. They like that. They like that a lot. Tell the religious that if he keeps working, God will be happy with him. If you just do more around here, God will be even more pleased. But I tell you this, if you tell all men that they are wicked sinners and their only hope is in believing in one who is nailed to a tree, there's nothing they can do to save themselves. They must trust Christ alone. Somebody about to get angry. Persecution that comes, Paul lived that and experienced that. Let me give you the front page of the paper. Let's make this real. Front page of the paper in Paul's day. So imagine, you know, it's all on the internet now. You used to get a paper, you unroll it, you got the front page, big heading across the front page, right? The front page of religion in Paul's day. So I'm reading the religious paper, the Christian news of, you know, first century Christianity. Quote, I wish that any person who tampered with the stability of the gospel would be castrated. This is what he says. Front page of the paper. Mess with the gospel and be castrated. Seems offensive to me. Uh, translation, uh, paraf- uh, kind of a paraphistic translation. I wish those agitators would go so far as to castrate themselves. You desire to be righteous by works? Go big or go home. And listen, anyone who alters the truth of the gospel ought to hear a strong rebuke. Let not this church be a pansy, wimpy, yellow-streaked church. If somebody perverts the gospel, they deserve to be rebuked. Now, listen to the Bible in some context. Psalm fifty-five, fifteen. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to hell alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and evil is in their heart. Psalm 917. The wicked return to hell and all the nations who forget God. Let them all go to hell. If they're going to tamper with the gospel and forget God, that's what they ought to get. Romans 16, 17, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out, watch out, watch out for those who cause divisions. Watch out for those who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that I have been taught, that you have been taught. Avoid them. Avoid them. Confront, confront twice, have nothing more to do with them. Second Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A command by Christ to the Thessalonians. 
Keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you have received from us. Because if you stand and warm yourselves with idleness, you will become idle as well. 2 Thessalonians 3.14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing more to do with him. Why? In order that he may be put to shame. You say, wow, that's in the Bible? This is all in the Bible. These are the positions against those who would pervert the gospel. 2 Timothy 3.5, they have an appearance of godliness, they deny its power. What do we do? Avoid such people. I'm not even eating lunch with you. We're not on the same page. We're done here. Second John 1.10, if anyone comes to you and they don't bring this teaching, do not receive him. You are not welcome. Put that on your church sign. Not all are welcome here. As we can say in America, everyone welcome. Really? They're not welcome in the New Testament. You bring perverted gospel in here, you're not welcome. We're going to do it Barney 5 here. We're going to nip it in the bud. We're done. We're not let that feel out through the church. Titus, the classic verse that we need to use sometimes. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped, he's sinful, and he's self-condemned. You say, we should be loving. We are loving. I love you enough to not tolerate those who would tamper with the gospel of grace. Because if we allow it, it will cause consequences for your soul. The church has no strong word for those attacking the gospel in America, it seems, because the modern church doesn't seem to have any conviction about what she believes. That's why we have different headings in the Christian paper today. I gave you the heading for Paul's paper. You wanna, yeah, we could do this all day. You want to have, have some headings for the paper today? Here's heading number one, Christian news, top of the page, quote, X. Southern Baptist Convention President Johnny Hunt returns to the pulpit after sexually assaulting a pastor's wife. And he stands in the pulpit and he says this, God called me to preach and I've preached for 46 years and God's callings are irrevocable. You can't ever be disqualified. And so he's now he's back in the pulpit. I'm like, Does not anybody in the church where he stood in the pulpit last Sunday, does not anybody have an issue with a disqualified man standing in the pulpit preaching? Did not any man stand up and rebuke him? You want another headline? I'll give you another headline. Church of England, quote, gay couples cannot marry, but they will receive God's blessing." Another one? Mess up your music. Amy Grant hosts same-sex marriage and she defends her position. Quote, love God, love people. This is where we're at. Tamper with the gospel, be castrated. 
And then now we have these headings, and they go on and on and on. That's all that comes up on the front page. Nothing about somebody standing with resolve over the truth of the gospel and rebuking the world and all false things and standing firm in Christ. None of that. All this political correctness just makes me sick. We live in a world that demands tolerance. We live in a world that hates biblical resolve, and when harsh statements are made against falsehood, the world loses its mind, and they accuse you of being the bad guy. You're the hater. You're the intolerant one. Lock that man up because he doesn't agree with the world. Is it true? It's true. To run the Christian race well, to run it well, you must obey the truth. To obey the truth, you got to know the truth. To know the truth, you're going to have to read this book, study, listen when the Word of God is preached. I encourage you to hold the gospel to be the most precious thing in your life and to fight daily against all things that seek to undermine it. I think it's a real good position to be angry when the gospel is distorted. And it can be distorted in many ways. As sad as I was in the churches I visited on my break, I was also angry. And my anger was what? Not in one evangelical church service that I went to was Christ exalted and revered above all else. It was good things, and some of it wasn't heresy or wicked, but Christ was not the center of the room. To fight against blatant heresy, yes. Fight against liberal ideology, yes. Fight against fleshly pandering, yes. Fight against legalism, yes. Fight against antinomianism, yes. You must stand. I can't do the history, it's too long, but... Do you know how many conservative, Bible-believing, inerrancy-thundering preachers at seminaries and the seminaries have been lost, lost, lost seminaries? John, is it true? All over the world where you could go there and get a theological education, you could stand at the gates of hell and fight, and now it's liberal, 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 liberal. And people leave the institutions wondering whether or not the Word of God is even believable. Why? Because they would not fight and they took a turn and a turn and a turn and now we have seminaries proudly proclaiming a whole division for women in order to raise up women preachers what in thunder is going on i told my mother years ago you see what happened to the methodist church it will happen to the southern baptist convention just give it time my mother says that many years ago it'll never happen and now it's common May it never be common here. The general direction of people is not from grace. The general direction of people is not from grace to works, faith to unbelief, love to hate, or service to selfishness. No, there's these little turns in between the extremes. We give a little here, we give a little there, and one day, as I said in the beginning, we wake up and go, how did we get here? 
What are we doing here? How did we get here? And make it more clear, one day, this is, you know, maybe this is just me, but it's, that's what it is. One day men stood proudly in the baptistry and gave their testimony of saving faith. And the next day, people are being baptized by the spraying water being dispensed from a fire truck. I'm not making that up. One day men stood in the pulpit They wore a suit and tie, they looked people in the eye, and they boldly declared, Thus saith the Lord. They preached like crazy men. They spit, and they sweat, and they cried, and they urged, and they pleaded, and they begged, because they believed God, they believed this book, and they cared about souls. Remember those days, times, when there were men like that and would thunder the gospel. Even though I may not agree, W.A. Criswell preached, and he preached for 50 years. Never compromised the pulpit. And the next day, guys are sitting in leather chairs with square rim glasses and skinny jeans and bodies covered with tattoos, talking about religious issues on social media platforms like anybody cares. I don't care, and I ain't listening. Do we not have a church of people with strong conviction about truth? And whether we be 30 our whole life, or whether we be 150,000 our whole life, could we be content? to be convicted about the truth, loving one another until Jesus comes. And if some brainless moron comes in here with some other doctrine, I pray that he's rebuked by 42 people before I ever even talk to him. Because I pray it's not just me. I pray it's your conviction. I pray it's your theology and your doctrine. Be very cautious of the little terms that are constantly presented to you. Stand firm in the gospel you received. Stand firm in grace alone through faith alone for the glory of God alone. Father, thank you for by the word Baptist Church. It is a refuge in the midst of a weird and crazy world. It is a place that still has a pulpit which seems to be an oddity in our day. It's a place where people, on the whole, still bring their Bible to church. A place where you can still hear pages ruffling when we turn to a text. We're outdated and historic and old school. Lord, thank you for a place like that where there's Bibles that are worn, pages that are yellow-stained from fingerprints, memory verses are tagged and People talk about theology and doctrine. People talk about missions and evangelism. And people say amen in preaching. And, and people look forward to the Word of God. Thank you for a place like that. Lord, help us to value what you've given us. Help us to cherish what you've built in this place. Help us to love your church, for it is yours. And help us to love her so much that we would never tolerate the pilfering, the tampering, and the destruction that the world would bring against the gospel of grace. And may we all be reminded one more time this night that it is all grace and that we would believe Christ. We pray these things by your Spirit.
in Christ's name. Amen.